What's going on, guys? It's just me, Matt, today. But at the tail end of this intro, we do have a fantastic interview with Baylor men's golf coach Mike McGraw. Just a wonderful look at a sport that not a lot of people have a ton of visibility into just because of the way it really isn't covered by TV and really can't be covered by TV. But then later this week, we do have our Big 12 football preview. We've been putting it off as long as we can because it involves work to prep for. But we think we have something that will be relatively interesting. Tomorrow night, we will be recording our preview by ranking all of the Big 12 teams, putting them into tiers according to our ranking of the official Big 12 hard seltzer, the Sonic hard seltzers. So we'll pick our best flavors and then rank the teams according to those tiers. It's going to be a messy, complicated mess, but maybe we'll get some actual information out there. Who knows? I doubt that. So we will be back later this week. But for now, enjoy the interview with Coach Mike McGraw. We really think you'll enjoy it. And uh, sick and bears. More bears. I think I can make that happen. Bear! into the collegiate world of golf into the Baylor program specifically so I wanted to get your opinions and, and understanding of like where the NCAA and collegiate golf generally where the big 12 golf programs and and where Baylor specifically kind of falls in that ecosystem of either amateur players or collegiate players trying to go pro or just within the sport as a whole? I don't know if I could ask a more vague question, but it was just kind of curious about your opinions on that. Well, for one, the visibility of college golf is not that high. It's, it's higher than it used to be. The NCAA through the golf channel has televised every NCAA championship, both men's and women's for the last eight years, I believe. And that has brought considerably more people at least to the forefront of understanding college golf exists. College golf traditionally has produced a lot of PGA tour and LPGA tour players, definitely on the PGA tour side. And so the guys you're and girls you're watching playing college golf at a high level are going to be on a tour very soon. And you're going to see them on television. The PGA tour has, I guess, back that up by starting the PGA Tour University, which is the NCAA championship. So they recognize that their stars are coming from college golf. As far as Big 12, Big 12 has been the strongest conference in golf without any question. And it's not even arguable since 2000, basically 2009, when we went to the match play format. So we've won more national championships than any other conference had more teams represented at the national championship than any other conference and had more teams make match play at nationals than any conference. It's not even close. So it was a leading question. Say it again. It was a leading question. I mean, you you look at the names of the PGA players and their college affiliation, and it's just big 12 school after big 12 school. Yes. We've been very, very blessed uh, to have great, teams i think the most iconic program of all times is the oklahoma state university and they've been a big 12 school obviously um, baylor and kansas we've both been very well represented at the national championship for years now and we even made match play a few years back uh, oklahoma has come on the scene the last six or seven years as one of the top teams texas just won a national championship they're second in the last 10 years so it's it's been 
quite a run for the Big 12, and I don't see that slowing down anytime soon, even though Oklahoma and Texas will be leaving the conference. Uh, we still have a lot of really good golf teams in the conference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Moving on to just a, a brief look at the season, I, I think the highlight has to be for the program, the Bear Brawl, which will be coming back to Waco uh, for the second year in a row. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. A lot of people are used to home games and every other sport. Speak to the significance of Baylor being able to play at a home course here uh, for the second year in a row. Well, for one, our fans that are in Waco will actually get to see us. I think we'll have some fans from Dallas, Fort Worth area maybe come down. We might have a few from Austin or so that may come out and watch that day. And a lot of the teams that are in the Bear Brawl are actually from Texas or the state's very close by. So we'll have some fans, friends, family, you know, here as well. But what also is significant about it is I'll be able to play all 11 of my players. So I'll, I'll have the top five in the, in the tournament and then six individuals get to play. So it's another opportunity for every single player in my team to get to compete against their teammates, with their teammates, and in this case, in front of some fans. So it's, it's very significant for us. I will... Uh, see my even my ignorance towards the sport right i i did not realize that I, as a fan i could go and walk the course presumably and yeah. and watch some that's fantastic I, I might have to take a day off and you know there tell my boss that i'm not feeling great a spectator sport that's so underutilized but you would get so much value because you can actually walk you're standing five feet from them off the tee box when they're hitting you're walking the fairway as they're playing. You're on the, basically almost on the fringe of the putting green when they're putting. So it's like you get to listen to what the coaches are saying to players. You get to hear the players' reactions to shots. You see it up close and personal. It's really a great fan experience, but but underutilized. I mean, they don't do it very often at all. If I can hear what the coaches are saying, I'm bringing my notepad, and I'm I'm gathering every piece of information that I can because uh, I need some help. Um Speaking of coaching, speaking of the work that goes into this sport, I still have people in in the group chats, people that don't play, you know, my family is a golf family, so they understand it's a sport. But a lot of people do not understand how athletic this game really is and what kind of work goes into being elite in this sport. What kind of like just what is a day in the life of a player during season or off season? What is the day in the life of a coach? Just any kind of insight that you can give people to the preparation that it takes to be competitive at this level in golf. Well, the NCAA actually allows us coaches 20 hours we can mandate from the players per week, includes workouts, practices, qualifying rounds, whatever, tournament rounds. So we only get 20 hours a week. Every one of our players knows if they're going to be playing on this team, competing, traveling, whatever, they're going to have to do some things outside of what we do, and they want to anyway. So right. their day is very full with they might have 15 hours that they're taking in the class. They may see a tutor. They obviously are going to work out. Some of those 20 hours will be workout. I mean, it's a full day, and a lot of people would say that, uh, that maybe – some some athletes are entitled, if you will, if, and I hear that all the time. But the truth is they've got another job besides just going to school, and that is to be an athlete. And that's a full-time job to get it 
like you want it or to prepare to play professional sports, definitely in golf, you have to go above and beyond what the coach can mandate of you. And if you don't, you're probably not going to play professionally. So there's a lot going into the day. Plus, we take our academics extremely, extremely important. I mean, it's it's a high priority. And I think, I, I mean, I think the lowest GPA my team has had cumulative in eight years has been a 3.51 for a semester. I'm, pardon me. Yes. 3.21. 3.21 and, is the lowest we've ever had. That's evidenced by the all academic, the, the big 12 all academic honors that, uh, you know, just came out a couple days, a week ago or so. Yes. Yes. That's that's fantastic. What do I personally I'm curious, what does a workout or lifting session look like for a collegiate golfer? At Baylor, it looks different than it would at most schools. We have a, a designated trainer that works with the men's and women's golf teams. The players are actually doing individual workouts that is not 10 guys in the weight room all at the same time, lifting the same weight, doing the same movements. That doesn't work anymore, I don't believe. And um I don't know how many schools have done what we've done, but we've we've hired somebody to do this. And this money was raised uh, with donor funds. So it's great. It's a fantastic opportunity for our guys and the women's players to actually get trained in an individual way, not just having to do what everybody else does. So it might include some explosive training. It might include some strength training for sure, some mobility work, uh, some core work. Um, you know, it's a lot of different things, but it's not like your standard weightlifting that you would see from perhaps a football team for an offensive lineman. It won't be anything like that. Right. Um, from a practice perspective, I, a lot of it's individual work, but are you guys going out and playing practice rounds, you know, every day or is it grinding on the range? What does that look like? Everything is flexible from week to week based upon our tournament schedule. Sure. And that will also affect the week prior or the 10 days prior because we have to have some qualifying thrown in there. And then obviously you have class schedules. So we do everything we can to create a team environment, team atmosphere, but understanding these kids, these 18 to 22 year olds as junior golfers, as amateur golfers, and as professional golfers, they all operate alone. <laughs> they are a single entity. They're a LLC, you know, Johnny Kiefer Golf LLC. You're the one guy. You're the most important. You're the CEO. Nobody else is going to push you. Like this, this is your performance that you are worried about as it an individual. Is. So they are individuals from that standpoint. But we try to create a team atmosphere in the way we have them compete against each other. The way we have a team practice might include three hours, two of it things you're working on individually. And the other hour is for the coaches to decide how to create that competition for the other hour. So we're doing the best we can of juggling and balancing the fact that they are individuals and they need to train individually. They have to because they are just they're going to train that way the rest of their lives. And they've trained that way leading here. But doing that in a team environment and creating a love for Baylor and the green and gold and second bears and all of that has to be in that other opportunity that a coach has to create a competition somewhere in there. Love it. Love it. I do have some some selfish questions to get into, but before sure. we do that, I did want to set you up for a plug and, and then also plug it myself. The Better Than I Found It book and podcast, I don't think a lot of people are aware of this. We, we, we have to get the word out about it. What is Better Than I Found It? Okay, Better Than I Found It 
It was a book I wrote. I published it in February of 2017. It's no longer in print. So anybody that wants a copy of that actual book could go on probably eBay and find a used copy. I don't think Amazon has it available anymore. I have a couple hundred copies at my house. If you reached out to me personally, you could find a way to get a copy. But that's the only way to get that book. I think uh, it's been out of print for about six months now. Um, Anyway, I'm not going to do another printing of it. But from that book came a podcast idea from my assistant coach, Mikkel, back during COVID, summer of 2020. We thought, how are we going to remain relevant? What are we going to do? And his idea was to have a podcast, and I would invite former players, PGA Tour players, Corn Ferry players, coaches, retired and current coaches. And essentially, I've gone 170 Mondays in a row. And this morning, we opened up with the podcast with uh, John Paul Bear, who's the recent Texas co- assistant coach, now the UNLV head coach. His, his uh, podcast dropped this morning. So I, it's been better than I found. It was a, a thought my dad had, and he had it for me quite often as a young boy when I would walk past a piece of trash at the club where my dad was a professional and didn't pick it up, he'd say, son, that's a problem. You got to pick that up. You leave it better than you found it. Or the way you treat people in any room, any situation, any meeting, just leave that situation better than you found it. And when the book was about 75% done, I still didn't have a title for it. And my wife, Pam encouraged me to go back and find out what my dad had taught me that I liked. And that was the best thing he taught me was just whatever you do, leave it better than it was before you got there. And so that's how the book came about. There are some big names listed on some of those episodes. Um, do you have a favorite interview that you've done? Just one that really sticks with you? Well, yeah, the favorite interview would be not a big name. Jonathan Moore, who played for me at Oklahoma State, won a national championship. And I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say I cried during the interview. It's just an incredibly, cre- incredibly moving um interview i've never done one like it i don't know if i'll ever do one again like it but anyway that was probably one of my favorites but i mean colin morikawa was really good Webb simpson was great i loved harold varner's interview so what i did was i decided to invite uh players that i had coached but also players that i recruited didn't get and, and coached against that are now playing the pga tour because i thought it was significant i kept those relationships going even though they didn't sign up with me at Oklahoma State, Alabama, or Baylor, because I thought those people are going to have something to offer me as a coach, as a person individually. And so I thought, you know, and I've had this attitude for over 20 years coaching. So you recruit a kid as hard as you can to get him to come to your school. And he says, no, I'm going to XYZ school. The human nature part of you wants to say, well, that kid, I'm so mad at him. Why did he do that? But the truth is, He had a decision to make between 350 schools. He chose another school. The same qualities that drew you to him to begin with, they don't go away just because he's going to another school. He's still that great person, that awesome kid, that discipline. I want to keep that relationship going. And so I did that. And that's how a lot of those professionals, tour pros that are that never played at Baylor or Oklahoma State or wherever I've been are appeared on the podcast. And they also knew that. Uh, I was doing it sort of for an altruistic deal. It's like I didn't monetize it. So it's like I'm not making a ton of money off of this. So it's like they they were willing to come on there. I, I've enjoyed those interviews as well. Evan, uh, thanks for joining. And also take a note that um, Coach here has a, uh, a standardized recording schedule. Uh, and we might want to like uh, try that at some point. That might not be a, a bad idea. 
You know, I've heard good things about that. I don't know if it's for us, but I, I don't know if it's I, for I respect us. Respect the hustle. <laughs> I do as well. All right, it's a lot of pressure, Coach. I, I I couldn't let you do this without asking some selfish questions for myself, but maybe some other people can get some benefit out of it as well. You know, I I think, like you mentioned, twenty twenty with the pandemic, I think the the popularity of the sport exploded to a degree. You know, you're able to get out, be spaced out from other people, outdoors, et cetera, et cetera. I would imagine now, though, for those that kept with it, that, you know, fell in love with the game as I have, some of those people are ready to take the next step in their game, right? And some people immediately run to the local golf shop. Some people um, just grind it out on the range for hours and hours and hours. Some people go get lessons. If you are speaking to the average individual looking to just take the next step in their game, where do you go first and how do you approach getting better? I still believe that it's always good to go to a local club professional, whether it's a municipal golf course or a country club that you're a member of. And those people, at least at very least, if they don't teach a lot, they know somebody who does. And they're not going to give bad advice to a member at their club or somebody who pays a green fee to play at their club. So they're going to try to get you some good help, even if it's not them. So I would go to the club professional first, somebody who's doing it for a living, somebody who's teaching for a living. And I would find someone who one would hold you accountable to what you say you want to do. Number two, that would get, that would be honest and open. And honestly, if, if something doesn't appeal to your good sense of judgment, then question them. You know, if you're the student, and somebody tells you to do something, don't just blindly go in and do it. You know, take ownership of your game. I don't care if you're a 25 handicapper shooting 95 every time. Your goal is to be in the mid-80s in a year. Well, then you you have some accountability there. Well, hold your instructor accountable too. Um, another thing is a lot of people want this improvement because I went to an, an instructor who's really, really well known and he, he understands his stuff. You've got to practice in between. That was one of the most frustrating things when I used to teach the game uh, in Edmond when I was a high school coach and somebody would take a golf lesson from me and the next Monday they'd come back for another lesson. Well, how'd your practice go this week? And he said, well, I haven't really practiced this week. Okay, why are we having this lesson today if you haven't practiced? I need you to go work on it. So accountability uh, for them is definitely big for a student. You've got to be held accountable and you've got to hold yourself accountable. It's kind of that, that's the way it is. Plus, uh, I would question everything uh, an, an instructor tells you. You know why I would? He's he's working for a living for a reason. You know, it's like he doesn't have all the answers or he'd be playing the game for a living. So if if what he tells you doesn't agree with what you're thinking or believe or whatever, just ask him. He, he's either going to not be able to back that up or he's going to explain to you why and then you're going to understand. But I don't know. Accountability, everybody, both player, mm-hmm. coach, instructor, everybody, we all should have it. If your club pro is playing in tournaments, you can go look up those scores. I'm just saying. <laughs> you, the, there are websites you can go look up those scores. Um, in terms of, I don't know, Evan, if you had a question, but I have I have my final one lined up. I have just one, and um, it, it's also a selfish question, so apologies for uh, making my one question a little selfish. So let's say you're someone who really wants to get into golf and you have a friend who has offered to take you to the range a few times, maybe play a few rounds. Um, they, they take you to the the driving range just the once, but they tell you, um, 
hey, once we can get your swing figured out, you have some real potential. But then they never take you again. Do you think that they were lying when they tell you that? Or do you think that maybe their schedule just got busy? Um, <laughs> how, how, as a new player, should you should you take that series of events? Well, first of all, I'm going to find somebody who I think could occasionally be consistent about meeting with me and somebody who would take a, a real interest in my passion for the game. Because if their passion to teach it does not equal your passion to play it and learn it, then you probably don't have a good mix or a good a good fit right there. So I would look for that person. That to me, that's the answer. Yeah, I can't no, answer I, that what makes their sense. motivation was. Consistency yet again. I had a baby, Evan, a third child. It's not all my fault. <laughs> oh, this is this was personal between the two of you. Now <sighs> extremely it was so. most it was mostly hypothetical, but you know, if the shoe coach, it was infuriating. I took this individual out to the range the first time he's striping them basically as, as he's just as long with every club as I am, if not longer and just dead straight. Most of the time for a brand new golfer, maybe that's why I'm not taking him back out is because he's already maybe on the track to being better than me, which yeah, is are you just that gifted uh, physically and athletically. You know, I hate to be the one to say that. Uh, no, I just, the real story is I just played soccer for 20 years. And I feel like if you do that, you just keep a baseline of, of leg strength. And that that's kind of all I have. And uh, Matt was very generous to take me out. And I just I got to give him a hard time because we had a really good time golfing and we promised each other we would do it again. And then he decided to have a child. So we haven't got to golf again. Well, that and you decided to take a job that has you traveling every week. So anyway, <laughs> coach, final question. I don't know if you have a story in mind or not, but I, I just saw a video the other day of Fred Couples telling a great story about how his caddy and him disagreed about, you know, a club choice. He he left it short on his caddy's advice, threw the club down and the caddy left the club right there on the 18th fairway and they didn't have it for the tournament after the week. And then that just kind of jogged my memory. So many good stories that I tell friends come from the golf course or the clubhouse and I was wondering, what is your wildest or funniest story that has come from the course, whether it be a wildlife encounter, a cheater, cart mishaps, anything else that comes to mind? Well, it, it wasn't really a golfing story, but I was working for my dad at the country club in Ponca City, Oklahoma, when he was the head golf professional. Shout and, out Phillips. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Shout out ConocoPhillips. But one of our members, cart it was my dad's cart, but it was a rental cart that my dad owned had broken down on the 13th uh, green or 13th tee, I think it was. But anyway, my dad said the member came in, he was really upset. And my dad said, take the range cart with a tow bar and go out there and pull that cart in. And I didn't hook up the tow bar well enough. And as I was coming across the dam that's between two water hazards on number 18, the tow bar broke loose and my dad's cart went 20 feet down into the hill into the into the water hazard and so uh that was only about a three thousand dollar golf cart lost right there and Oof. my dad had a choice nickname for me that he used for me the rest of my junior career which i'm not allowed to say on this podcast or any fan family friendly podcast and he called me that the rest of my junior career so i learned a good lesson just hook up the tow bar if you're going to bring it in but i don't really have a lot of unbelievable stories certainly not ones that would be repeatable on this podcast but, such as uh, golf such yeah that is golf that's just the way it is but 
I do uh, I do have a lot of good memories of the game. Glad I'm still doing it. Love love to be involved with it. And uh, I actually have loved coming on this podcast today uh, between two bears. This was a blast, Coach. I, I will be hitting you up for a copy of that book and maybe any lessons or any <clears throat> Baylor branded go- gear. Um, Coach, do you have anything else to plug? Uh, let's see. No, but if you want golf lessons from me, you're going to have to probably go to somebody else. Unless you can help Baylor play better in golf, I'm probably not going to help you with your game. Sorry. I'm, I'm, oh, we can do that. I'm a good hang on the course. I'll say <laughs> well, that. Evan might be. If he's that natural a golfer, maybe he's got – you have an eligibility, Evan? Um, I think I have a half semester left. So if you can pencil me in, I would love to come. Maybe I can give Matt a few tips, you know, after I hang out with the team a little bit. All right. That is definitely all the time we have. Coach, thank you so much. Have a great day in second. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you Thanks, Coach. down into the hill, into the, into the water hazard. And so, uh, that was only about a $3,000 golf cart lost right there. And Oof. my dad had a choice nickname for me that he used for me the rest of my junior career, which I'm not allowed to say on this podcast or any fan family friendly podcast. And he called me that the rest of my junior career. So I learned a good lesson. Just hook up the tow bar if you're going to bring it in. But I don't really have a lot of unbelievable stories, certainly not ones that would be repeatable on this podcast. But, such as uh, golf. Such Yeah, that is golf. That's just the way it is. But I do, uh, I do have a lot of good memories of the game. Glad I'm still doing it. Love, love to be involved with it. And uh, I actually loved coming on this podcast today uh, between two bears. This was a blast, Coach. I, I will be hitting you up for a copy of that book and maybe any lessons or any <clears throat> Baylor branded go- gear. Um, Coach, do you have anything else to plug? Uh, let's see. No, but if you want golf lessons from me, you're going to have to probably go to somebody else. Unless you can help Baylor play better in golf, I'm probably not going to help you with your game. Sorry. I'm, I'm, oh, we can do that. I'm a good hang on the course. I'll say <laughs> well, that. Evan might be. If he's that natural a golfer, maybe he's got, you have an eligibility, Evan? Damn um, I think I have a half semester left. So if you can pencil me in, I would love to come. Maybe I can give Matt a few tips, you know, after I hang out with the team a little bit. There all right. Go. That is definitely all the time we have. Coach, <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great day in second. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you. Thanks, Coach.